thinking this uh, morning as I was looking uh, this week at chapter 6, I thought this morning it's very important to understand this, is kind of like when you think about what do you gain from this study in chapter 6, I think it should encourage us to remain faithful to God and trust that God is able to deliver us from exile in, the fall, in this fallen world that we live in. That's kind of a central theme that you might say is coming out of this study. Another thing would be to say our lives, like when we're looking over things and trying to think through the life that we're living, we, we want to ask ourselves, do I see genuine saving faith in my life? Do I see a faithfulness to God kind of coming out of that faith that I say that I possess? It's very important, I think, to understand that because sometimes like when we're living in this world, we kind of get lulled to sleep in this world and think, not really thinking that much about uh, God saving us from this age. Sometimes we might even feel comfortable in this world. I think that's one of those dangers that, that can creep into the church. We say, oh, we believe Jesus is going to save us, but don't save us right now. You know, don't rescue us right now. Don't like come right now. I've got too many things to do, too many irons in the fire. I want to build something. I want to do something. I want to accomplish something. Or I want this education. So don't show up now. And I think that's a dangerous place for us. And that we're tempted sometimes to, to, to maybe not really want Christ to come now. And I think in this story, what we see is Daniel is living, he is working in this in the world, that he faces persecution and difficulty and trials because of it, and he's longing for God to deliver him because of the situation he finds himself in. And I would just say for us, we should constantly understand the situation that we're in, understand the brokenness of this world, understand the struggles of this age, and we should long for Christ to return. I was thinking about if you really wanted to know what you treasure most, you might could ask this question. And I think it's important maybe. If you could change one thing about your life, what would it be? If you could change one thing, what would it be? If you just had like a moment, you stopped and you said, I want to change one thing about my life, maybe you'd say, I want more money. I want a second home in the Rockies. I want, you know, a thousand acres of hunting land. You think about what is the one thing, if I could change it, what would it be? What would I long for? Maybe I'd vacation at all my places on my bucket list in the next year. Take the whole year off. And sometimes I think if we start thinking about that, are those things any different than what the world longs for? Is that how the world would answer? And, and I think what reason I kind of bring that to the head is because I think it's important that we check our priorities as we study this this morning. What was Daniel longing for? What was Daniel living for? Who was he standing before and wanting to be faithful to? What were his desires and passions? And then we stop and say, when he's pursuing God, persecution comes. And what happens then? And we see him longing for God to rescue him. And I think for us, we need to ask that question. Are we in a situation where we're saying, I want my, my main concern, my greatest desire is to be faithful to my Lord, to serve him with a whole heart. And when I face persecution, it's just one more reminder that I long to be with him and serve him with my whole life should be our highest priority today and until the day we die and enter in with the Lord forever and we spend eternity doing that 
That should be our desire. And so I hope we see that this morning as we move through this text. So Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because of his excellent, the excellent spirit that was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now, those leaders, the satraps, those are people who were like, the, the, the word actually means a protector of the kingdom. Uh, they, what happened was this is a major empire, even larger than the Babylonian empire, and they set up people that kind of were like governors or, you know, they were leaders over that, that area, and so they would place them over this province and that province. And it was a very large group, 120. You see, it seems very large, but it was needed in that time. Over them were these three kind of administrators over all those guys. And one, one of the things that you find out is that they, they're there so that the, the king doesn't suffer any loss. That means loss of revenue. So those three men over them was kind of the idea of being not losing revenue. And so they had to make sure that the taxes were paid to the king. What would happen sometimes if you had a bunch of provinces with people taking money, you could imagine some are stuffing their pockets and say, give a little less to the king. And so someone is taking account of that and watching over that. So Daniel has a very important position in this empire. The Lord blesses him with an excellent spirit. Now, we've been learning throughout this study, just kind of if you were to track back and think about what's going on. One of the things that you see here is that, that Daniel, like certainly he may have had a great attitude. He may have had certain abilities that were God-given. He certainly did. But he also, there was this thing of like, he had a unique ability to understand like dreams and visions and, and just a, a general wisdom that they saw as something he was given from by the gods in a very powerful way. And so people saw that throughout that God had uniquely gifted him. And so I think it's important that we see that now. We're seeing here again, and I just think it's always important to note this. Joseph was this way. Daniel was this way. When they're living, they're living in this fallen world. They're living in this fallen kind of kingdom and this sinful kind of kingdom. But they're a blessing there. God made them a blessing. God even said of His people in the in the story. If you were to study um, about Abraham, He says that your people will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth you see them here as they are obedient to god god gifts them places them in places in in secular in the secular world and they're a benefit to those there around so i you know we just have to understand god gives people and if you're young here today and say i don't know what i'm going to do he may give you certain roles that you don't know what all your your roles will be in our world but god gives people opportunities he gives them gifts and he wants to use them you and i to use them for his glory I think that's just important that we understand. Now, as you move forward in verse 4, what we find out is sometimes as you walk with the Lord, it's just reality, sometimes walking with the Lord, we face uh, persecution. Actually, we're promised to face perfect persecution. God says that we will. And, and Daniel is for multiple reasons here. And we'll see that. Verse 4 says, Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom but they could find no ground or complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground 
for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So it starts out with these guys looking at the situation. They put him under scrutiny just like you would. Like, you know how, like, I don't know, even in Bowie County right now, there are people that are they're bringing up like cases against some you know, different leaders and people in, in, in authority and in places of power. They're always going to face that. You just need to know that. Like, it's part of it. If you're in leadership, people love to find fault with you. It's just the nature of it. And so one of the things that you see in that is that, that these guys are saying, look, we don't really like him. We're kind of jealous of him. We don't like that he's going to be over us, that he's this guy that came in from a foreign land and now he's this most powerful person. We don't like him. I don't want anything to do with him. And so that's just the nature of, of that. They're kind of they're jealous of Daniel and they're looking for ways to destroy him. You may be in a, you've been in a work situation before where there's people that slack off or they're not honest with what they're doing, and then you come in there and you're working there and you're one of these employees that are really diligent and focused and all that kind of stuff, and people may look at you and be like, man, I can't stand that guy because he's like steady and faithful and hardworking, you know, because that's just the nature of it. But this is going to go further than that. And that's kind of what we'll see as we're moving through. Daniel, there's no corruption, no negligence in what he's doing. And, and, and it's kind of rare to find that, and so they're kind of angry with him. But he was also a godly man, and so they're looking at him, and they're saying, man, we got to find something in connection to him serving God. It moves here. There's a transition here. They're moving. They're going to attack him because of his relationship to God. Now, what, I just think it's important just to note this. If, you're, if you've never really thought about that much, you probably have, but I just, we need to understand something. We are in a world that is hostile to God. The world system, system that we live in is in opposition to God. The world hates the Lord's ways. The world hates God's laws. The world is in rebellion against God. That, that's just a reality. The world even hates God's Son. I mean, that's, that is where we live. We need to understand that. And so the reality is, the closer you get to obeying God, the more that you're going to face opposition. You will face persecution. Sometimes it'll be real external like what Daniel's going to face. Sometimes it'll be very quiet and, and subtle in the way that that comes up on you. But you will face persecution for your commitment to Christ. It's interesting too, and I just another thing just to think about: if Daniel had been corrupt or negligent and got himself in a, in trouble, it would not be because of his commitment to the Lord. It would just be for him doing something stupid. But here, it is because of his commitment to the Lord that they hated him. Ultimately, they're going to use that, I guess you would say, in their hatred for him. Verse six. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. All the officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and its injunction. Now, here's what's interesting. It's not, it's not that, like, I don't know that they, they or since I'm not quite sure. They, they may have, like, been fudging a little bit on the numbers and said all of them, 
everybody throughout the whole kingdom agrees on this. Some people were saying, like, it's a little bit of a stretch. You think, did they throw, I mean, was that ended up being like everybody in, in, in the whole government was unified around this? We're, we're not completely sure, even later when they're, they're going to be cast into the, the, the lion's den themselves. You kind of wonder, is that really what took place? But you'll notice it says for 30 days. Now, they knew that Daniel was not private about his faith. He openly served God. He had stood before kings proclaiming the things of God and talking about God. And so his, his faith was not private. And so they knew that he was not going to stop in his worship of God. Now, what they've asked for is not just that everyone like pray to the king, but also that that the king, like there was probably a whole priesthood, like a system of, of people that handled the worship. The king, for that 30 days, became the sole person that you would mediate to the gods through. That you would speak to the gods through. And so he's kind of, not only is it like, if you want to communicate to the gods, you come through me, or the worship of me. All of that, I think, is embodied in what is taking place for 30 days the king signs it it cannot be broken even by the king so we're going to see that look at verses 10 and 11 here when daniel knew that the document had been signed now daniel's aware daniel's not caught off guard daniel knows what is taking place evidently he has grasped that there's this kind of group of people trying to destroy him and trying to get him killed he knew what had taken place he went into his house where he had windows in the upper chamber, opened them towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making a petition and plea before his God. So Daniel doesn't like, he's not combating them in the way that they're doing it. Daniel, if he knew what was taking place, he might could have you know, gone to the king and whispered in his ear and said this and that. There's no indication of that. He doesn't fight in that way. He just continues praying to his God. He continues entrusting himself to God. He would go to the upper room. And they say, I read something that said even today in that part of the world, there'll be these flat-roofed houses. On top of that, sometimes people will build a room. It would be like a little apartment. It's a place to reflect and think and dwell on things. And that's probably the kind of place, a private place where he would not be disturbed. It even has the idea that they snuck up there. Somebody could catch him doing it. And so they kind of sneak into his house potentially and go to the top of his roof to see what he's doing. And so this is going on. And really what Daniel would do is he prays regularly. And I think that's important just to kind of think about. People who walk with the Lord... People who walk with the Lord, one of the things you see is a consistent prayer life, a consistent running to God, a consistent worship of God. When, when we say that he prayed, it means he petitioned the Lord. He's asking the Lord to do things. He may be even saying, God, deliver me or help me stand firm in this trial. He would pray regularly in that way. He also spends time in thanksgiving, which I think is interesting. Like You ever think about in the midst of that kind of trial, being thankful? Praising God and thanking Him. Scripture says, in all things we should thank the Lord. James 1, verses 2-4 through says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There's something here of Him thanking God even in the midst of this trial that I think we could grasp this from it. 
So he's sitting there. He's been, the king was ready to put him in the place of, of great authority. Some people said, we don't want him to do that. They were jealous of him. They wanted him destroyed. They first tried to attack him personally. They could not find anything. And so then it turns to like persecuting him for his faith. They said, uh, he prays to God. Let's make the king make an injunction that anyone that prays to God or to any God or, to, or goes to any man during this time, then you t- basically he gets thrown in the lion's den. Daniel continues to walk with the Lord. Now, let, let me ask you, because this, this isn't very important, especially in our country, it's kind of hard sometimes. It is because they were in a when you was a king, they had absolute authority. But you kind of ask the question: Are there times when we should not obey civil authorities? That's something I think you have to kind of address here. <clears throat> Peter says, and you see it in Romans thirteen: Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put silence to, the, to, uh, to, to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Those are, that's a biblical concept. Honor those in authority. Obey those in authority. Is that biblical? Yes, it's biblical. Is that important to know? Yes, because I think we have to understand that and grasp that. Sometimes I feel like people think, no, there's no, there's no commitment to that. No, God is committed to that. He says, actually in Romans 13, that they are ministers uh, for, for, of God. To accomplish His work in this world and to, to protect the innocent and to uh, uphold justice when the people are in rebellion. Now, are there times though when you reject that? Acts 5.29 says, Peter, again, who wrote First Peter, and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. There were people telling them, stop talking about Jesus. Stop evangelizing. Stop reaching out. Stop doing that. And they beat on them for it. And they said to them, we must obey God rather than men. There comes a place. Now here, there's a very strong distinction. It is one thing to say, stop praying. Stop gathering for worship. Stop preaching the gospel. And another thing to allow that in a country. There are people out there that might allow certain things that you and I would not agree with, but they're not saying, hey, Jared, you have to marry these certain people. Jared, you have to stop praying. Jared, you cannot meet with your church in worship. So I just think it's important that we understand that. Now, what will happen here is that this is what he's going to say. There, Peter's going to talk about this, and he's going to say there are times when you are going to face uh, persecution for your faith as you live for God in, the, in, in that is pleasing to God. That is a, uh, really a beautiful thing in God's sight. 1 Peter 2, verses 20-25 says, For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? It's saying, hey, if you do something wrong and you get busted for it, and you say, well, I'm going to do right, that's not really God-glorifying. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. God is 
blessed by seeing his people be faithful to him, face persecution for it, and continue in faithfulness. That's a beautiful thing. It is precious in the sight of God. For to you, this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin. Remember, Jesus was perfect. He had done nothing wrong. He was perfectly obedient to God and He was right before men. He did not hurt people. He benefited people. He blessed people. And so when He was persecuted by the authorities like Daniel, what it says is, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, when He was persecuted, for living righteously in an unrighteous world. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He did not act like the world when he was persecuted by the world. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He looked to God. He ran to God. He turned to God. He prayed to God. Every time as you're moving through this, you see the correlation between Daniel, I think, and Jesus in that. Daniel is is following in the footsteps of the way his master would. He did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And then in verse 24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that he might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the good shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus' work was much greater than Daniel's. He died, he suffered, he endured all those things perfectly taking on the sins of humanity, all those who would believe throughout all the the time from Old Testament to New and even through today and, and beyond. He came to save us and He did so by suffering. And God is pleased when we in some way, even though our suffering is not in the same way, it's not to rescue people from their sins, He allows us to participate in, in enduring suffering so that others might even see the example of Christ and it pleases God to see it. For, for, for others to see that. I guess that's how I would say. Now, you keep going. And the third thing that you see or third kind of scene here in Daniel 6, 12-15, we go back to the palace. In verses 12 and 13, they find Daniel praying and, and, and they, they, they tell about this. They, they, they affirm that, that you know, all this took place and, and, and they're going to kind of try to go in and get him. They're going to go after Daniel because of his commitment to the Lord. It's interesting. They snuck up to this place to find him praying. And what happens is, kind of like when, when I was a kid, um, I would say something like, Mom, didn't you say we only have one cookie today? You know what happened while you are gone? Oh, Jonathan snagged up too. Mom, you said that you were going to bust his tail if he ate two cookies. You know, and so I'm pushing. It's kind of that king. They go up to him and they say, listen, you said this. Daniel's doing it. Remember, king, what this is the law. They're like, they're twisting his arm and he's going to know what's going on. They have set this whole thing up without him even knowing. 
And they're going after him. And they're going to try to pursue the king and make him do what he said he was going to do. So you notice in verse 14 and 15, the king loves Daniel. The king wants him to be second in charge of all the kingdom. He, he, he would want that. And so he begins to think about that in verses 14 and 15. And he's going to labor until sundown, which evidently the, the, that, that law had to be enacted at sundown. The judgment had to be brought on the one who had offended that law and the punishment was to come. And so I'm sure he called all of his attorneys together and said, y'all find some kind of loophole. We've got to somehow like clean this thing up and make it where I don't have to kill Daniel. But there was no loophole. He could not find it at sundown. He had to punish him. You'll notice in verses 16 through 18. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. He had to. He set it in law. He cast him into to, to this, uh, this place where the, the lions may eat him up or, or right there into the lion's den. And he said, in, in, likely in front of all, may God save you. May the living God, may your God whom you serve continually, may He save you. May He rescue you and deliver you from this, this place of great trial and testing. It's very interesting. He knew that. He, he was thinking about Daniel's God. He knew his commitment to his God. It's, it's a very powerful picture here. You know, when they would seal though, that's interesting. When they sealed the place, they, a lot of times I think they would take like clay and they would stick that, their, their, their signet ring into the thing and it would mark it and say, if anybody touches this, they're going to be in great trouble because it would break. If somebody grabbed the chain and tried to take it and drag Daniel out, everybody would know it had been broken and somehow the, the judgment upon Daniel had been not carried out fully. And so all that is taking place and the king is disturbed. He knows that there's no hope for Daniel. No rescue by human means except for Daniel's God rescuing him. The king even prays. He stays up when he's fasting. The idea is fasting and praying. He stays up all night. He didn't have anybody bring in like musicians or, or like some nice food or whatever to kind of get his mind off of it. They didn't bring in a big flat screen TV and said, oh, watch this for the night. You won't even think about it. None of that happened. That night, he is sitting there all alone fasting and potentially even praying to the God of Daniel. The fifth scene we see at daybreak, the king rose and went in haste to the den of lions. He came near the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? You see, he's saying there's something about this God. He's saying there's something about Daniel. There's something unique about him. Throughout the study of of Daniel living in exile, it's not they they're always saying like this God, this God that y'all serve, he is unique, he is powerful, he is able to deliver. Did he deliver you this night? And Daniel said to him, "O king, live forever." 
He, he speaks to him in a way, he's not, he doesn't show angry, like an anger towards the king. He says, O king, live forever. He honors the king with this statement. He says, My God sent an angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. And so Daniel was taken up out of the lion's den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. It's a very beautiful picture here. He says, God did deliver me. The God I serve, He delivered me. I was found blameless before Him, O King. And I've done you no harm either. And He delivered me. There was no mark on Daniel. The angel showed up. And really, most people would say, this is the angel of the Lord. Maybe the pre-incarnate Christ, some people would say, that protects His people. He comes down to them. He comes to rescue them. We've seen that already. When, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in, there were three men thrown in. And then when they got there, there's four men there. There's one there who's delivered them and rescued them. And that's what He's about. Throughout the, the history of the Old Testament, as you study the Bible, you see this one who comes and over and over rescues his people from utter destruction. It's a, it's a very powerful thing that we see. Daniel's life in this moment, we see that he was found blameless. He was blameless. What does that mean? We, I had quite a bit of discussions about this week. Anna really thinks and we were talking about like that when he says he was found blameless it's it's like in that moment we're not saying that Daniel's perfect in every way but we are saying in that moment he is blameless before God and men he's man when they look at him they could say like God looks at him he says Daniel did nothing wrong God's vindicating him in this moment God is standing beside him in this moment because God says I looked at Daniel and Daniel is one who is faithful to the Lord we looked at last week where Belshazzar was weighed in the balance and found wanting. Daniel's weighed in the balance and not wanting. God looks at this thing and He sees him as faithful. And He was faithful. We also could go a little further though and say, and I think it's very important to see this, is that the issue of being blameless before God is one of those things throughout Scripture is that, that, that God's faithful ones are sometimes called blameless. They're called ones who they walked with God. God even said to Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. We should aspire to that. That that is something that we'll never gain completely. If we stood before God as ourselves as we saw this morning, we will see that we are not always blameless. Daniel was not always perfect in every way. There's only one who has been blameless in every way, and that's Jesus. Throughout the Scripture, we have to understand that He was completely blameless. You and I, our only hope is because of what Christ has done, His perfect life, His death on the cross, we can say He is blameless so that we can be blameless. But at the same time, those who have been transformed by Christ, those who have known the Spirit's work in their heart, those who have been changed by Him and called by Him and turned from their sins and are walking with Him, they are to strive to live a life of character, a life of integrity, a life where God would say they are found blameless. We should strive after that. 
We should be people who are trusting God, believing in Him, and walking in His ways. That should be what characterizes our life. We should look to Daniel certainly as an example here. Now notice in verse 24, we can look at another group of people. This group, those who maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the lion's den. And just in case you think those lions were not very hungry or they're just kind of like sitting there um, kind of like maybe real old and they couldn't get up and get to anybody, in this picture, we see these people, when they reach the bottom of the den, the lions overpower them and break all their bones in pieces. They totally kill these people and bring the judgment that they deserved. The judgment they tried to bring on Daniel, they received the due penalty for their error. You know, when we think about that, is that not what the Bible presents? That's one thing beautiful about Daniel, is that God is judge. That men think they're big time. They think they're powerful. They think they kind of know things and they're in powerful positions and they can control everything. But the ultimate say is with God. And God is the judge of all the nations and all the peoples. And in the picture throughout the Bible and in Revelation, and really that's kind of pictured here, is that God is the judge and that He will rescue His people and He will judge those who are in rebellion against Him and those who persecute His own. That should be something very encouraging to us. Now the last few verses, there's three verses here in Daniel chapter 6 and verses 25-28. through Darius is going to write a note to all the people. Again, picturing that for us. To all the peoples and nations and languages that dwell on the earth. And he's going to make a decree that, 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 that really, he's going to say about God, he's going to say that he is... He has dominion over all people. That everyone is to fear Him. He is the living God. He's enduring. He's forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and His dominion shall never come to an end. He's proclaiming that to the nations. Very beautiful picture. As God interacts in history with His people who walk in faithfulness to Him, God is going to use His people in those circumstances to declare to the world that God is the One who reigns, that He's over all, that He delivers His people, and no one can stop Him from doing it. That's the thing you see over and over and over in the story of Daniel. As we conclude today, I want you to think about just something that is true over and over, something we need to dwell upon. God always makes good on His promises. He has promised to save us, to rescue us. As we mentioned late earlier, many years after Daniel's life, when a prophet had not spoken for 400 years, God came down. The Son of God, He became man. He dwelt among us. In a much greater way, He was innocent. He was perfectly innocent. He endured great persecution because of His perfection and His righteousness. When He went into the lion's den, the cross, He was killed. But in His death, He brought about salvation. He was rescuing us from the punishment of death. And He was crucified and raised out and vindicated. And all of our enemies in Christ's death for us, all of our enemies were forever defeated. 
so that we are victorious today. And so in the meantime, I think just for us as we say, we see that picture and we see really what God is doing, but we say now for us, don't we want to be faithful to our Lord? He's told us, walk with Me, walk before Me and be blameless. We are called to be faithful. That means that we will, as we walk in faithfulness, will endure suffering. But what that will do is drive us to a longing that He will rescue us and drive us to the longing that He may return and return quickly. And drive us to a longing of saying, Lord, come quickly and rescue us and set up Your kingdom eternally. So for you and I today, I hope that you will think deeply about this. That you will see that part of what it means to walk with God in faithfulness is to endure difficulty. And what that does is, it drives us to see God is the great Deliverer And it says to the world around us, there God saves. There God is all-powerful. There God is a living God. There God is forever, will reign forever and ever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the wonder of the salvation that You provided in Your Son who endured great difficulty even to the point of death, death on the cross for us. He suffered unjustly and yet in His suffering He came to save, to rescue us from our sins. We ask You, Lord, for us as Your people that we would follow Him. That we would follow Him in obedience, in suffering, in the the, the difficulties of this life so that we might be saved, so that we might honor the One who saves. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.